Hey guys, um, welcome to series two, episode six of the Journey Podcast. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a different one. I'm trying to, now that we got through some of the like base introductory things that have to do with learning how to set goals and build a practice plan and, and some of the neurology of practicing and learning, I'm trying to use this month and series to kind of bring different perspectives in from students of mine that have gone through this transitionary period of learning and changing your game. Uh, so that for those of you who are trying to follow along with the podcast and do the things that we talk about to improve your game and follow your plan and accomplish your goals, um, you, you are able to hear from people on the other side of that experience who have been there and done that. And so I did that with uh, a good friend and student of mine, Curtis Dunbar, for that three-part series. And this is a really good conversation with a friend and student of mine named Dawson Palmer. Um, who is a really, really cool, uh, awesome kid, and I think just brings a fantastic uh, approach and outlook, not just on shooting, but on life. And I think that listening to this episode um, and this conversation that I had with him, you will pretty much un uh, until we get to the moments where I bring up his age, you're not going to realize that this kid is 16 years old, um, an incredibly mature individual and has a fantastic outlook on the game, very positive outlook, very positive outlook on life. And it very much benefits his uh, ability to compete and learn and, uh, and complements his passion for the game. So um, just a little uh, like preemptive uh, setting the scene type thing. I shot with Dawson for the first time uh, since I've been teaching him in a tournament in uh, Texarkana at Rocky Creek Outdoors. It was the Arclitex Open. It was the same tournament that Curtis and I talked about in the episodes that we released. And Dawson had a what I would consider to be a massively important breakthrough moment in his shooting. Essentially what happened was, and we talk about this in the episode, but just to give you a little idea, what happened was the first day did not shoot very good in the prelim. Second day, which is the first day of the main, he shot a good score for, for the main event and was in contention to uh, win. On Sunday, he experienced what everybody experiences when we shoot a really, really good score and kind of get outside of our own thoughts. Um, and, and kind of lose presence of thought, thinking about the potential outcome, winning. We kind of tighten up, start playing more defense as opposed to offense, and we just try to, in a, in a way, protect the performance that we have potentially available to us, and it ends up turning into a horrendous round. And um, I was able to shoot with him during this, and I don't believe in coaching people through rounds because from my own personal experience and from what I know about coaching, um, it's the failures in life that we learn the most from. And especially if, we, if I have a student who's 16 years old and is, a, and is in a situation where he can potentially have a breakthrough performance or do really well, win his class at a, at a big tournament, um, you know, he's 16 years old and a failure in that moment is not really going to do anything in the long run, especially knowing his commitment and passion for the game. 
Um, so I was at the position where I was going to let him experience the round in whatever way that naturally developed. And uh, about four stations into a 14-station course, he came to ask for uh, just kind of like an opinion on what I thought was happening. And I gave him a very cryptic response. And knowing that if he thought about it analytically, he could understand what I was talking about. But if he didn't and kind of let himself stay in the, in the emotional state that he was in and was not using a higher level of self-awareness to assess that, it wouldn't really make a difference to what he was doing. And it was just one of a one of a one of those coaching moments where, as a coach, your student does something that you're incredibly proud of, um, and I just thought it was one of the coolest things that could possibly happen. And it was something that I wanted to capitalize off of, both for him but also for everybody listening, because I think it's something that number one is very very rare at any skill in skill level in the game. I mean, people who are professional competitors in, in clay target shooting struggle with what happened to him that he successfully made it through but also people in the beginning of their game when they start to experience success struggle with it it's a very common thing to be able to you know feel pressure not know how to handle it, and let it ruin your round and he was he was dancing on a fine line of either having that make his round turn into one that he would kind of want to forget about or be able to capitalize off of it and have a valuable learning experience. And it went the second way, um, which I was very proud of. And obviously, I mentioned to him in here that there's going to be other opportunities where things like this happen again. It's not going to go that way for him. But this is just something to pull as much information and data from as he can. And hopefully, by having this conversation on my podcast, all of you can pull that information and valuable learning experience from that uh in this by listening to this conversation so that way the next opportunity that presents itself where you're dancing on that fine line again you have certain information that can help you make the correct decisions again um to let it go your way um and so i I had a little strategic plan here to where i did not want to talk to him at all about this round until i could do it on a recording a few days later that way all of this conversation is not like pre-planned or a uh, regurgitation of a conversation that we had earlier the conversation that i have here with dawson is the first time that we talked about this round it's a coaching moment for me and him but it also can be a learning moment for anybody listening so i really highly encourage all of you to listen to this whole interview um i think it's fantastic and it's also really fun to listen to because he's a he's a hilarious kid uh very intelligent very bright very self-aware and just has a great outlook on life. So I encourage anybody to, uh, you know, to, to listen to this, reach out if you have any questions. Um, but I think that anybody and everybody listening to this episode is going to very um, intimately relate with the experience that we talk about. Um, so uh, apart from that, we'll kind of get into it. I do want to mention, though, that uh, the podcast is growing very quickly. And uh, everything, everything that I have built into the podcast is growing faster than I expected. Right now, my shoot analysis sheet thing is uh, on my in, on my website is so full of people submitting um, shoot analysis sheets that I've I broke the 
I broke the server that hosts all of this. So we've had over 20,000, uh, I think I'm at 26,000 submissions on there, um, which is fantastic. I mean, there's probably, it's, it's kind of like the equivalent of maybe a thousand to two thousand people who have used it multiple times obviously it's not that many people individually using it. a lot of you use it fairly regularly which is awesome because that's what it's intended for um, but I'm in the process of getting that fixed so if you've if you've submitted one and haven't got a response back yet from the automated software it's just because it's completely full and I'm going through um, talking to the people that host this uh, program for me to upgrade my account and fix some things there on top of that um, the YouTube channel is growing uh, very quickly um, and it's opening up some opportunities for me to do more things on there. The way that YouTube works is you have to be like a YouTube partner in order to be able to do some other cool interactive stuff on your live videos. I've just gotten approved for that. Um, and so I'll be incorporating more technology on there in order to be able to do live shooting analysis videos. So like taking videos that you guys submit, analyzing them on the podcast live, talking about mechanics, doing some really cool stuff. So if you're listening here, I encourage you to head over to YouTube, search the Journey Podcast on YouTube. You can go to it by, by just going to youtube.com forward slash, then the at sign, then D Radulovich. Um, and if you go there, that's the YouTube website and join me for my live podcast, uh, every other Monday and every Wednesday, uh, we get into some really cool stuff. I have, I have guests on there all the time. I just had the dead pair podcast guys. I'm going to probably have Dr. Colo on there pretty soon. And the coolest thing about that is that it's not a recorded episode. It's live. You can participate. And if you are subscribing to the YouTube channel and you're logged into YouTube as you're watching it. I'm reading all the comments live and interacting with the people watching it and I can answer your questions. I can go over the videos that you submit. And it's a really valuable training tool. So I highly encourage you guys to join me on those things. Um, it's a lot of fun too. It's just an absolute blast. Uh, a little bit of um, just some like community uh, updates. The app um, for the Journey Podcast is finally going to be uh, released pretty soon. It took way longer than I thought, but we are on track to be able to do it. It's going to be released uh, for Androids first. I have to do some uh, tax things to allow the Apple Podcast uh, network to allow me to release it on iOS devices first. Um, and that's going to be up and running as soon as possible. I just have to rely on people, not myself, to be able to get things done. So it doesn't always get done when I want it to get done. But basically, I have to get approved for some other weird stuff. So that way, uh, I have to be basically a business organization. And initially, I'd submitted the app through an individual developer account as instead of a business. So... Uh, working on that. So the app will be live. Websites being updated. Podcast content is being released a lot. I apologize for releasing so many episodes last week. I just had a lot of uh, content and I am incredibly impatient. And if I have recorded content, I don't like to uh, stretch it out over weeks. So I released my episode with, uh, with Curtis three-part episode um, all in one week as opposed to stretching it out over a week. So um, or over three weeks. So we did it that way. But anyways, that's basically it. Um, I would say that, um, other than that, um, you should be able to join me, um, this Wednesday on YouTube for my live video. This should be a day where I'm doing a YouTube live tonight. 
Uh, it's March 20th right now. But because I'm going to be driving to Houston to be teaching there for the next week, I'm not going to be able to do the YouTube live. So that's why I'm releasing this episode. So um, you should be able to join me Wednesday unless I have any uh, Wi-Fi issues, in which case I will do it the first Monday that I get home uh, from Houston. I will be staying on uh, on the property at Westside. So uh, they tend to have everything good and set up and ready to go there. So it should work. But cool. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Daw- Dawson is a is an awesome kid. Um, and I think you can tell by the conversation that the two of us mutually respect each other a lot. And uh, it's always good to have him on. I'm going to have him on a lot more uh, in the future. So Enjoy the episode. Thanks for uh, stopping by. For those of you who are joining me on the YouTube Live, I appreciate your time and your commitment to the podcast. And um, yeah, lastly, just follow uh, the Journey Podcast on social media uh, for the for the best updates. It's going to be easier when the app comes out when things have to change last minute uh, for releasing content and stuff. But um, the easiest way to find information for when I'm releasing things is my own personal Instagram account. Uh, or by uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel and signing up for the alerts so you know when I go live or when I release a new episode. Um, Yeah, cool. Well, let's get into this fun episode. It should be good. We will see you guys soon. Adios. Okay, cool. Yeah, so tell me uh, a little bit about like how you how old you were when you first started and and like um a little bit about how you got into shooting uh i started shooting in march of 2020 is when i got my first technical competition gun mm-hmm. that october i started shooting 4-h thanks to one of your students who got me to shoot 4-h and i mean i enjoyed shooting 4-h it was fun um it's a good intro yeah. into just kind of being out there and going to a practice every Thursday or whatever it was. But then COVID hit. Yeah. And so they quit all 4-H stuff. So I was like, man. Uh, but luckily that was when Lance Keene, the guy who runs Rocky Creek, got to Rocky Creek. And so I started, I kind of met him and started talking to him. He introduced me to Sporting Clay's. Started shooting sporting clays. Oh, so you weren't doing? You didn't start. No, 4H is really only trap. Oh, I didn't know that. And my dad was also really good friends with the guy who coached, who started the high school team at Pleasant Grove. Mm-hmm. And so he that's the guy I met into, the other weekend. No, that's the Pleasant Grove coach. No, he his son already graduated. But, oh, um, he kind of got me. He's like, all right, you need to go shoot a little 4H because I was in eighth grade at the time. He's mm-hmm. like, you need to go shoot 4H, get you kind of into it and then when you're a freshman then you'll be fine you'll be able to shoot trap with us everything mm-hmm. and then that's COVID hit or whatever that 2020 and so probably that March I got that shotgun for my I got like a it was a Beretta A400 multi-target for my birthday and then I met Lance and then I think it was pro- I, I started just hanging out at the gun club and shooting and I mean I was decent but then I started shooting with Lance that August or September and man, that was basically every day, Monday through Friday, Dang. I would go there after school and I would really love to know how much I shot, but there, I mean, I shot thousands of rounds with him <laughs> and I progressed so fast from that August to the following shooting season, which for me was probably like March, February. Yeah. I mean, I was like 
I progressed fast. I mean, I shot that A400 so much, I had screws falling out of it. <laughs> I mean, I thought I was going to melt the barrel. That's what I'm talking it. about. I would just shoot. I mean, I was shooting like three flats. Yes. And three flats for, I was not as big as I am. I was pretty small. Yeah. Like, that's a lot and, of shooting. And people don't think about this, but like what you're doing, that's, so three flats is a flat and a half out of each barrel on an over and under, but that's three, that's 750 yeah. shots out of a, out of a semi. I think it's hot. I mean, I would get to the point where I was, I just couldn't even pick the gun up. Yeah. Like, and Lance would be like, all right, shoot more, shoot more. And I mean, that that was a good thing for me because, I mean, I got my barrel to eyewear and it's progressed really fast and everything. And then I started shooting tournaments probably March of 21 is when I first started shooting tournaments. First ever tournament, Texas Gun Ranch shoot. Um, and that was when I, had my, I first got my Craig off. I mean, I start really good. I was probably a 75%, 80% shooter. Yeah. And I've probably been shooting. That was probably about a year of yeah. shooting. And, I mean, I was good. And I just, my scores kept going up. And then I kind of plateaued about 2022. 20, mm-hmm. I kind of plateaued out. And then I was kind of just kind of getting a little frustrated. And then Gary Old told me about you. And so I started shooting with you. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I started progressing really fast. Yeah. And, and, um, so, well, let's go back a little bit to the to the A400 thing because my first gun was a 20 gauge. They didn't have A400s when I first started. It was a uh, 390, and uh, it was the same way. Like I burned that thing to the ground. <laughs> I, that gun, and then my very next gun, which was a 391. Do you know? Have you ever heard of a Technies? I think I have, yeah. Yeah, it was like a little. I thought it was the coolest looking gun uh, at the time. It was a three ninety one Technies twelve gauge. It was my first twelve gauge, and um, look it up on your phone. Do you have your phone with you? It's called a uh, Beretta three ninety one, and then put in T E K N E Y S, but then do field model, or instead of field model, type in green. Beretta three ninety one T E K. N-E-Y-S and then green. That's Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, man. I remember going to the store like, oh, I want that one, Dad. I think I was I was probably nine and uh, when I got that gun and the uh, it, I just thought it was so cool. Then, so you want to know what the next gun that I wanted was? I, I like trying to get my dad to get me this so bad it was um it's called a look this one up i, I guarantee you've never seen this gun before it's called a uh, it's a beretta ugb two five zero zero xl i think it's x and then c e l l You ever seen? Oh, I've seen those. Yeah, it's a break open automatic. Uh, I've seen those before. Yeah, I I think I that was why probably, would you want this? I just thought it was the coolest. I mean, you know, I like to be weird. Yeah, <laughs> but they still make these. Like, no, still a definitely thing? not. They don't make that. I that did not. That gun did not do very well. So, what are we talking about ballistically? Like with a break over. So automatic. the weird thing about that gun is it it ejects down. Oh, you, it ejects out the side. Yeah, you when you load the gun, 
the shell sits on the outside of the receiver, so you can see the unspent cartridge on the outside of the gun. Then when you shoot, it pushes it into the gun, and then it ejects the second the the spent cartridge straight down into the ground. It's pretty cool. I mean, if you think about it, like for trap shooters. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's the the only time I've ever seen this gun was a guy that was shooting it for trap. Yeah, that's what it, I saw the trap model with the raised roof. That's what my gun was. That a four that a four hundred multi target was. Yeah, it was a trap gun, so it had a freaking huge raised rib on it yeah kickoff pad which not a big fan of the kickoff <laughs> no, pad it moves you around yeah it's bad kickoff pad adjustable comb but man I, yeah. every screw came out of that gun it was bad yeah, I, my, up, I was hitting super blue everything thankfully like my dad uh did not buy me the ug5 ugb 2500 but i think he probably knew how terrible it was <laughs> i mean I think it's cool. I would still buy it. There are two guns I think are cool that I want. It's just for fun. Is that gun, and then it's called a, a Ludic Space Gun. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. Yeah, the L J U T I C Space Gun. It looks like it looks like it's from, uh, like, what's that one movie with Ben Stiller? Oh gosh, I'm a, I'm playing. I'm having a mind fart now. But it looks like a crazy gun that I want just because they're crazy weird guns. I want them. Um, Ludic space guns are really expensive, though. You think the Beretta UG whatever is pretty expensive down? No, I don't think. I think that's. I don't know what the price on that is, but um, yeah. My so that Technies that I had. I, I don't know if it's Technies or Technus. I still have all my guns I ever shot, um, but that gun probably has. I bet you that has a quarter of a million rounds through it. Jeez. Yeah. I know, I know for sure, because I got rid of, I sold that A400 multi-target, because all the screws and stuff came out of it. Um, I sold it, and then I got the Craig off, and I know for sure I've shot, it. I shot 30,000 rounds out of it, over 30,000 rounds out of it this year, and I shot my whole In 2023? Pallet. No, in 2022, because I got my pallet last February, uh-huh. and I shot through that pallet like... I got think I got done with that pallet in August yeah. or September, and I I think I probably shot a couple thousand over that before I got the pallet. Yeah, dang, that's pretty good. That that's pretty off. good. It's a good. It's been a good gun. Yeah, it's I got the little. It's got the little click. Yeah, it's got the click in the it. Click it's trigger. got the audible click. <laughs> you can hear me on my second shot. I'll, I'll let it go a little bit forward. You yeah. hear the audible click. Bang, click, bang. And yeah, it's almost <laughs> like a reverse trigger. It's a click. Bang, click, bang. When we were shooting with you at the Arclitex, Curtis and I, I never noticed that for some reason. But Curtis noticed it while we were shooting. And he was like, what? Does he have a release trigger? I was like, not, unless he changed it, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. We were so confused. It's odd. It's very loud. I don't know how I never I kind of like it, it though. Did, can you hear it when you shoot? No. Yeah, I don't think so. I can hear it when I'm not in competition, but I guess I just don't. I just hunt, like it just get it zone out of my out. mind. I yeah. just zone it out. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> so focused on that bird. I mean, you know how it is. Yeah. Um, that was a trick question, and you passed. Uh huh. <laughs> mm. Okay, so, um, talk to me a little bit about. I know this is going to be a hard question to answer because it's really open ended, and I'll help you guide through it, but. Talk to me a little bit about, um, like, as you've been going to tournaments, your approach to learning how to compete. Different, not talking about learning how to shoot, but 
with learning how to compete aspect of what you're doing like the 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 total mental approach to how you're you are thinking yourself through a round in tournament like what has changed and what is you what have you learned over the past like year i think the thing that has changed the most is probably my nerves Mm -hmm. as far as you know that first tournament first couple tournaments you get the jitters yeah sitting there shaking yeah um i kind of got that out of my system and I, i mean I'm still not really good. I mean, I'm good at reading targets. I can read targets enough to shoot a 90. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've learned a lot more as far as right now, I'm trying to figure out more how to read targets based off of my emotions yeah. before the shot. So, a good example of this is one of the stations at that last tournament, the Arkletex Open. Yeah. I was going to shoot a different way, and then... I asked you, and you or you had already shot it, and you shot it backwards from how I was going to shoot it. And I asked you why. And you said, because the way that I shot it made me feel less amped. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm down this far. I don't really care. I'm going to shoot it the <laughs> way you shot it. Was it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. That was okay. the one I was down 10 targets. Yeah. Day. But I was like, all right, I'm down this far. Let's go ahead and shoot it. And so I shot it backwards, and that really, I was like, man, that did Big make difference. me feel a lot better. Because I'd shoot the first bird in slow transition down, 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 and I was breaking it. Like, we were breaking it like a foot off the ground. Yeah. And you think, that true pair from the right, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And you'd think that would make you super, like, Mm-mm. you'd be trying to go super, super fast down to that second bird and break it because you're worried about it. And, and it really wasn't. And I went back because he hadn't changed the target, so I went back and shot it the other day, and I shot it the way I was going to shoot it. And it just, it felt so much worse. Yeah. I mean, that way that we shot it felt so much better, and it felt like... I had so much more control. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Dig- yeah, it was crazy. And I, I've been working on that more now as far as not just reading the birds, but reading how I'm going to feel when I shoot the bird. Yeah. Like, how is this target going to make me feel? And that's more, I don't have that problem as much on big targets. Yeah. Like, if you give me a far, if you give me an 80-yard crosser, I can get that all day. Yeah. It's the little close stuff. Your rabbits, your yeah. quartering away, quartering left right birds that stuff really messes with me do you know why it's because it's kind of easy <laughs> no <laughs> think it's about it a lot well so that's that's the reason why a lot of people think but the reason why so i mean you're talking about that amp the, the, the emotional feeling of being amped um the, the reason why closer certain closer birds do that you know like you won't have you probably won't have that feeling on a closer bird that's just like a straight incoming bird you know, something that looks really, really slow to you is not going to be that way. But when you have stuff that's close, let's say you have a, a, a 15 mile per hour target that is 15 yards away. Or a 50, five zero mile per hour target that's 80 yards away. That 15 mile per hour target that's only 15 yards away is going to be, is going to cover your visual field way faster than that 50 mile per hour 80 yard bird because of the of just the ratio of distance between how you're seeing it and so we don't if we're not paying attention to what's happening we don't see the bird in like you don't have the ability to radar the speed of the bird you know like oh that one's 15 miles an hour yeah. that's 50 what we do is we look at how fast it moves across our vision. That's how we interpret it. And so 
when we see those close birds, like a quartering bird with the trap right next to you, hauling. And, um, you know, like you see that covered two-dimensional space so fast that you get amped because you think you have to move that fast too. But when you have a, a full spring bird, like the birds we were shooting yesterday, both of those traps were full spring. Yeah. Um, and that, but that one on the left, up on the mound, the left to right crosser, that was full spring bird, but it never looked fast. No. That, that bird was going 90 miles per hour. Not like not off, like that. off I mean, the arm, it was going yeah. 88 miles per hour. It did, it, I mean, it was, that just bird f- just looked, but you take that right-handed bird that we had full spring, mm-hmm. I mean, that thing was fast. And fast. it looked fast because it's closer. Yes. But think about if you had that same trap half the distance away. Oh my gosh, it oh. looked like it was going 200 miles an hour. Yeah, it'd be so it looked fast. like a bullet going across. Yes. And that's what happens is that, you know, we end up moving so fast and then quick movement when it's unnecessary is hard to control. Yes. And because generally quick movement when it's unnecessary is is like a intuitive response in a, in a filter of bad movement and that means it's reactionary. And so then it's like reactionary intuitive movement because you're seeing the bird wrong and interpreting it wrong always ends up happening in the hands so yeah. think about that second bird yesterday when we were coming down the transition to it the, it was so hard not to use hands both on the transition to the line and to connect with the bird that's why it took so long to yeah, that's why it to took it. half a flat to yeah. figure it out <laughs> yeah it's a really really good bird um so that's pretty cool so what um uh how do you feel like you go through the process of, of, um, like in a match, how do you go through the process of assessing how you will feel? Do you, do you like, um, do you rehearse different ways to shoot it in your head and try to figure out how each one would feel and then pick one you like or what, or how do you do, how do you do that? I've kind of started just doing what, the first thing that like if I look at that bird whatever is like the first way that I think I'm going to shoot it because what I found was the more I'm thinking about it in my head like if I'm the last person and I'm sitting there doing it I start second guessing myself really bad Mm. like I'll start really second guessing so instead I usually just follow it with my hands and just try to get the speed down Mm -hmm. because even if I have especially on true pairs if I have a misread if I get that speed down I know I can recover. Yeah. Even if I misread the bird horribly, I know I can still recover and at least get the fifty percent. That's all we, that's all that matters. You mean like if you get if you can make it to where in your body you feel the speed of the bird? Yes. Yeah. As far as I mean, because even if I've got a good read, and that's a deadly combo, having a good read and being able to feel that bird out. But I mean, even if it's a misread like I almost did on that one station, yeah. I think I still would have been able to recover. Yeah, because I would have been able to match that target speed better. So, was your plan initially on that bird, to, on that pair, to shoot it like shoot both of them on the way up? I was going to shoot the front bird and then transition to the back bird, which would have probably, I think I could have done it, but it would have been a little bit messier because I would have been having to fight a bird that kept moving back and forth, and because I was, I would have been way in front of that bird already. So I would have been having to fight that bird coming to me and then me trying to get in front of it and all this other stuff. Yeah. Instead of just shooting that back bird first and then making that slow transition down all the way down and breaking it like a foot, yeah. two foot 
before it hit the ground. Yeah, that. Yeah, that, and you know, honestly, that shooting it that that way was opposite of how I would normally shoot it. Like the way that you and wanted to shoot it, front back. If I was probably on a different day, I probably would have done it that way. But I was, I needed to, I needed to not, I needed to calm down. Yeah, we, our squad was a little amped up. We were all a little amped up. We were. (laughs) What, um, what, have you ever gone into a, well, let me back up. For on the Saturday round. No, let me back up more. This I want to talk about Friday to oh, Saturday Friday to Sunday. Friday bad. <laughs> okay. So tell me what, um, like, uh, so I have purposefully not talked about any of this with you because I wanted to do it to where it doesn't feel like we're where we're regurgitating a conversation we've already had on this podcast. So, because I want to use it as a really good learning experience for you, where you, where, which would be kind of cool that you could always go back and listen to. But also, what's cool is there's something that you did. You may think that the only valuable or one of the most valuable days that you had was Sunday's round, but every single day was really, really good. And um, even Friday. <laughs> So tell me, just just vocalize if you can handle it, sending it out to all the thousands of people that are going to listen. What did you shoot on Friday? I shot a 56 that Friday. <laughs> and how much fun did you have on Friday? A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was really fun. It was a blast. And um, so t- talk to me about like what your assessment. So you get done shooting Friday. Or even in the middle of the round, we had we were having some conversation in the middle of the round, but um, uh, like after you shot the round, what was going through your head about what happened? Like, what was your assessment of like, okay, I should try to do this, or I experienced this, or this I don't have to worry about? I think I needed to calm down a little bit. As far as uh, we, we were pretty, we were pretty amped up when we were shooting. I mean, yeah. it was pretty. It was pretty high intensity, but we had to be super amped up and stuff because it was cloudy cold i mean it was gray skies like mm-hmm. cold dreary day like uh, like a uh, an emotionless day yeah honestly i mean and then that segued in and i more found out like i more thought about it on saturday after i shot a pretty good round and saturday was sunny blue skies birds chirping yeah I mean, so what with what you know about like the stuff that Huberman talks about, what would you, what do you think about? I mean, I think a lot of that round could be attributed to how I was my, how I was, how the environment affected me emotionally. Yeah, like I may have felt like I was super happy and everything because of the squad, but it just my brain just couldn't handle it. Couldn't stay happy when the. I mean, it was so dreary outside. Yeah, and. I think another. I mean, I was kind of having to fill out the squad because it's the first time we ever we had all ever shot together. Mm-hmm. So kind of having to fill that out and kind of having having to fill that out. And I mean, I hadn't shot in a while. I hadn't shot a tournament. I, that was probably my first big tournament of the year, really. And so I mean, I I kind of knew I wasn't going to do that good. Plus, having to work with the medications. Usually, first day off of the meds is the worst. Yeah. Because it's like you can't focus at all. You're all over the place. Yeah. You're hungry. 
I mean, your emotions are everywhere. Do you notice when you stop taking your ADHD meds that you not only do not focus, but do you, but you feel like you could sleep the whole day? Yes, the first day is the worst. It's terrible. You're all over the place. Your emotions are like all over the place. You should feel like you can't get anything done. You feel like you want to be really lazy. Yeah. Like I like I tried to work out because I haven't taken my meds any this weekend. I tried to work out that Saturday. I mean, I felt like I just couldn't do anything. Yeah, you, you I just, just had no energy. Lazy, no yeah. energy, and then Sunday felt fine. Usually yeah. day two, day day two is pretty good. Focus a little bit better. Day three, I mean, it's usually really, really good. Yeah. I mean, it's almost to the point where it's like, I can tell that I need them a little bit, but I mean, as long as I'm in kind of a calm environment, yeah, low dopamine, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. The, so people who have, uh, who have, uh, who are, it depends on what you want to call it. You could call it neurodivergent. You could call it ADHD. You could call it whatever it is. Um, neurodivergent is a more overarching thing that encompasses a lot of other stuff. But uh, especially with ADHD people, because their brain is so hyperactive, they tend to be very, very um, empathetic. Do you know what that is? Yeah. So um, they tend to be very empathetic and they tend to be very, very hyper attentive to their surroundings. So um, on the podcast, I talk a lot about interceptive versus extraceptive. And uh, um, Huberman talks a little about, about that, which, do you know the difference between those two things? Mm-hmm. Uh, interceptive is where basically your attention is on the way that you feel, like your body inside of your body like um be like if you were gonna do meditation and you were focusing on your breathing or if you feel hungry and you know that's being interceptive interceptive awareness extraceptive is you know right now you're listening to me talk you're being extraceptive or you're paying attention to the guitars or whatever it is um so interceptive is internal awareness extraceptive is external awareness and people with ADHD tend to be very heavily on the extraceptive side of the of the scale because of how fast their brain is working, and we tend not to be very focused on ourselves. So the problem with that is that there's another category of Have you ever heard? Have you ever done any personality tests? Mm-mm. So in um, uh, in one of the personality tests, there is uh, this category called openness that measures you on a, a couple different things, but one of them is essentially how much you are influenced by your external environment. So people who are very low in this, like they could work in, uh, they don't appreciate natural beauty and they tend not to appreciate art. Uh, and they tend not to like appreciate music that much. People who are very, very high in, in this tend to literally have their mood influenced by their surroundings. And again, because people with ADHD are very, very hyper uh, sensitive to their environment, they tend to be very high on the scale. Um, like I am 99% in this, like in the 99th percentile. So I am hugely influenced by the environment, like my surrounding. That's why, you know, you made the, you know, me, uh, my personality and how like chaotic I am. And you're like, I can't believe that your house is this like clean. (laughs) Yeah. Because if I want to be productive, that's why I I made my, I mean, this is a rental house for two years. 
Um, but that's why I'm in my office like this. I want my guitar. I want it to look nice. I like green things. I want because it, uh, if my house was messy and it was um, and if it was like boring, you know, if I didn't have art in it and if I didn't have those cool little wood things with the lights, I would have a really I wouldn't be happy. You know, it, I would not be productive. And so the same type of thing happens when we're shooting. Where that, you know, like Friday, I definitely felt that too. It was just a weird... It was a weird day. It, the colors of the sky just made you... They sucked energy out of you, you yeah. know? And um, and then and then it was really windy, hard to focus. Cold. Yeah, cold for you. <laughs> no, it was cold for you. I had the cab can in. <laughs> no, but I'm, I was making a joke because I'm from Ohio. Yeah. But um, the... Uh, so that was a... a, a a crazy day and you shot you said 56 yeah i think i shot a 56 said that. okay so i want to bring this up because i don't know if i've ever talked about this on i may have on a podcast i don't remember but that was your first time shooting with me in a tournament yeah and um the first time i ever shot with wendell in a tournament i was 10 10 or 11 uh, which you can't comp- don't compare the age, but I was a year and a half or two years into my shooting, so compare that. Um, and I shot with him at a tournament. I shot terrible, and I threw a fit on the course so much so I think I, I still think about this. I remember it like it was yesterday because I I hate myself so much for doing this, but I also have to excuse the fact that I was a bratty ten year old kid. That was, you know, I don't, I don't know what was going through my mind, but there was a target. When I say I was shooting bad, I mean like the exact same. I was averaging normally like, um, probably like mid eighties, and I don't know what my score was, but I would say it was probably around in the fifties in this round. And there was a station where I went lost pair, lost pair, lost pair, and then I, um. On the last st- on the last pair, I I was pissed, um, and I di- I didn't have uh, an over and under because uh, I was you know shooting a semi, and so I, I shot the last pair miss miss and I got so pissed I loaded another shell and I shot the bird a second time, and um, I think that. I don't remember this. I think maybe my frustration in the fact that I handled that when I was that way when I was that young, maybe I m- might be misremembering it. But I I know nobody said anything. I think it's. I mean that's technically not legal. Yeah, <laughs> I should have been disqualified. But um, the uh, I remember immediately doing that, and I was just like immediately so embarrassed. There's been two times in my career when I did something that was really really embarrassed, and one was that. And the other one was, uh, I don't know how old I was. Or maybe I was like, maybe I was probably about a year younger than you. And um, I was at a shoot in, in Wisconsin. And I think I told you this story where I was shooting feet tests. And I was shooting so bad and I zeroed a peg on the feet test. And I threw, I got pissed and I threw my shells out in front of the thing. And this was at a major tournament. I think it was at a regional champion. No, they didn't have regionals back then, I don't think. Um, but it, maybe a zone shoot or some, some big shoot. I don't know. 
and um, there was a whole rotation waiting to shoot, and they were all watching me. And the uh, the referee, after I threw those, he was like, "Sir, I'm gonna have to ask you to go pick those up." And I'm colorblind, and at the time I was shooting. I don't think they were Winchesters, but they were red shells. I don't know what they were, and I couldn't see them in the grass. And I held up a whole rotation, being a dumbass, and I had to uh, walking like twenty yards in front of the layout trying to find the two shells that I threw because I was so you know so mm-hmm. mad. And um, but those are the two things. But anyways, I wanted to bring that up because you shot equally as bad, but you handled it so well, and um, it was actually an enjoyable experience. And, um, but the other thing was that your, your mindset for taking that into the next day is, is something I wanted to talk about. Cause I think that's something a lot of people can learn from, um, you know, like most people, you, you're not a 56% shooter, you know, no. that was by far a terrible round. Yeah. That was the most, that was the most fun 56 I ever <laughs> yeah. shot though. That was fun. <laughs> and, um. You know, like you—that's not you. So that 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 had to have been like a little bit of a shock. Just I'm like, what did I just shoot? Yeah, you know? I don't and, even know. I just like I just saw that they told me I shot a 56. I was like, oh, I don't even know if I looked at my scorecard. Like, yeah. like I don't even want to know. Right. And um, but see, most people, if they were to shoot a 56 on the prelim, the weekend would be horrendous. Yeah. And so I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about. I want to get some feedback for uh, what, how much were you thinking about that 56 when you started Saturday? I wasn't. Right. You don't think about that. Right. And how much did it, so after you shot the 56, what was your reaction to that? I mean, I just, because even talking with Curtis about it, Curtis even said, he's like, you really got to sacrifice one event. Just to get everything out, get the jitters out, figure the squad out, and I mean, I even knew, I knew it was first day meds. Yeah. And not being on meds, I'm not gonna shoot that good. Yeah. So it didn't hurt me that much, but I mean, I just didn't need to think about it. Which yeah. I'm a pretty positive person, so and I think I would think I would have probably shot. I probably would have been in a bad mood if it wouldn't have been for the squad. Mm-hmm. Because the squeer is such a high energy squad, which because I have me and Haley, and so and Haley rode with me on the cart, right? And so we were blasting music on the cart right. on the way to the stands, super high energy, amping each other like we were getting pumped up, right? And I mean she zeroed a station on one of them, yeah. And it, it was probably the best zero she'd ever shot because <laughs> we were all pumping each other up, and everybody, me, you, all of us, Curtis, we were all getting pumped up about that, even though we just. I, I, I shot one. I hit one on that station. Right. And she zeroed it. Right. And we were still getting pumped up about yeah. it. I mean, just having a squad like that that is super high energy, but not just everybody high energy, having a couple high energy people that have ADHD and then having somebody like Curtis as a neutralizer <laughs> to kind of get... Curtis over. definitely doesn't know, but he definitely has ADHD. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he's still a neutralizer. Yeah. He kind of was able to calm everybody down mm. right before the shot. Mm-hmm. But that's probably why I zeroed that. That's probably why I shot a one in this station. <laughs> so, when you after you shoot a 56, like, how much to, does that, do you, if I were to say it, 
how much do you internalize that? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, as far as internally, like feeling that. Yeah, like how much did that inter like how much did it influence what you thought about yourself? I mean, I really didn't care because I mean we talked about it after. I was like, why do you think I shot that bad? You're like, well, just the way it was outside. You're being too careful, mm-hmm. and I think I took that me being too careful into that Saturday round, which mm-hmm. is like, don't be careful, shoot good, and that really translated into Sunday. Yeah, which we'll talk about the Sunday round yes. later. Yes, that's that's a big one. That was cool, but just going into Saturday as far as just don't be careful, shoot the way you normally shoot, don't change anything. Yeah. And, I mean, you told me kind of how what I did wrong. Which, I mean, even you didn't even shoot. I mean, you shot like a 90-something. I think like I shot a 93 maybe. I don't remember. I don't know. But, I mean, you shot 100 on Sunday. So, I mean, you weren't really shooting that good either. Yeah. Yeah, The yeah. thanks. <laughs> I mean, Haley shot a 60-something, and I think Curtis did the same thing. I don't know what Curtis shot. I don't I don't even know what I shot. I, um, uh, yeah, the... I thought it was also a pretty good course, and wind was kind of wild. Yeah, that the, those targets were highly influenced by the wind because Huge. they didn't have enough spring tension to cut through the wind. Yeah. So I mean, it was some of those targets were rough. Yeah. With that wind, I thought that was a very cool course. I really. Liked it was. It. it was a fun course. It was technical. Yeah. Which is not something I needed on my first day, not on meds. Yeah. I'm not seeming to need something that technical. Yeah. But. Yeah. The um. Yeah. So what? So. Whether you know it or not, the way that I answer your questions when we're in tournaments is I, I don't necessarily always give you the right answer. I give you an answer that will swing you one direction or the other. And so to you, what does it, when I say you were being too careful, what does, how do you stop being careful? I mean, I don't really know, know how I went. Cause I don't want to expose too much about the second round or about that Sunday round yet. Talk about it later. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to expose too much about. Okay, it. that's fair. That's, that's gonna good. be its own question. That's fair. Um, but, I mean, I just just shoot it where I want to shoot it. Yeah. Don't shoot it when it, I mean, shoot it wherever I feel comfortable shooting it. Don't shoot it to where I know I can hit it. I mean, if I think if I think I can hit it off the arm, shoot it off the arm. Like what, shoot it where it feels most comfortable to shoot it for me. When you feel, can you? Can you consciously tell in the round, in a shot, when you're being careful? Or can you only tell after it? I usually can only tell after after yeah. it. As far, yeah, I really can only tell after it. And after I it... I used to. Now I can tell after everything. Yeah. Looking back at it, I can kind of tell now. What, what do you... Um, what do you feel? Because remember, this is part of this is a podcast, but it's also to help you because I want you to be able to know, I want you to be able to listen to it and be like, oh yeah, that's right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. So how do you feel being careful? What is it? It it doesn't have to make sense. I mean, I don't know. It just feels slow when I'm what, careful. Like what feels slow? Just my body, my hand, like everything feels like I feel like I'm either going too fast to be like. I'm going fast, but it's not the type of speed we need. Mm. It's being fast. It's fast to get to that safe point. Do you know if you were to think between all the 
directions of movement that you can make. It, like in, out, up, down, left, right. What movement feels fast but is not one that we need to go? My left, right get real fast. But do you... On my rotation. So like on, t- on targets, on left to right targets, it gets real fast. Do you know why it feels that way? because of the way my hands and my body were not translating well when you, I was shooting. And what, in what direction would you think that... It's my non-dominant direction is what I felt like. So, like the... Um, it felt like... It felt like when I would shoot... When I would shoot left to right birds, that felt better than when I would shoot right to left birds. And that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, left to right for you feels worse. Or left to right feels better. Better. For some reason. Left to right feels better. Yeah. Right to left. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, the reason why... And this is why it's so hard to, to be able to differentiate this and pull it out of the experience is because it gets blended in so well with all the movement. When you start to feel too fast, but it, too fast in a disconnected sense the layer of movement that always comes into play is in and out like the third dimension of movement because moving the gun in and out like forward and backward not up and down or left and right but forward and backward it does nothing to connect to the bird it doesn't change the placement of the point of impact it just makes the bird closer to the gun and so when we start to lose control and be careful, a lot of times what happens is actually the ro- the fluidity of your movement in terms of rotation and hands and posture locks up because we have anxiousness, like anticipatory anxiety. So like being nervous because of what you're afraid is about to happen. Um, and the... Uh, when we get that anticipatory anxiety, the body kind of locks up some, especially in the parts of of the body that make the movement that we want because we're afraid to make the movement because of the fact we're afraid to get away from the target. So we want to keep everything close to the bird. We want the gun and the body and the target all close together so we can see all of it. And we don't even recognize that we're experiencing that because it's it's a totally influenced thing from your emotional state but the the reason why we don't notice that that's happening is because in the moment of feeling that we are a hundred percent extraceptive totally basing our awareness on the target and the gap and the lead and how fast it looks and how far away the gun is none of our attention is on our body so we don't feel the bad movement at all and so it's very, very hard to diagnose. That's why, that's why pretty much nobody can unless you have somebody watching you or you film yourself. That's why so many times when you film yourself, when you're trying to practice and, and unlearn a bad movie, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was doing that. We did a little bit of that yesterday. Yes. As far and as feet plays. Exactly. And, and so what happens is that when we lock up from that anticipatory anxiety, um then the only movement we have left to make is the in and out. And what that translates to is leaning and pushing. And for you, as a right-handed shooter, you said left to rights are easier? Yeah, I feel like 
And I think that has to do with eyes. Sometimes. It has to do with your feet. Yeah. So if you're standing as a right-handed shooter, think about going left to right. You can't, it's harder to lean. We're always going to lean forward. We never lean back. We're going to lean forward and push into the shot. It's harder to push into the shot if you're moving to the right. Yeah. If you're moving to the left, you can push from your back foot to your front foot. That's why that happens. Yeah. And uh, and so, but then the, the chain of events that happen afterwards is we lean forward, that brings the gun down. So then we have to push the hands up to get back on the line of the target. Then after we do that, it's going to cant our back, like, you know, create a convex shape of our back. And then that's going to change the relationship of the gun and the eyes. And then when we change that point of impact relationship with the gun and the eyes, we consciously recognize it more because it looks different. Then we look at it more instead of the bird. The bird looks faster, and then we move faster, and then we spaz, and then it's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's it very, very up, bad. <laughs> okay, so you go from a 56 on Friday to what did you shoot on Saturday? 87. Yeah. And t- talk to me about... If you were, if you had to, uh, voice over a video of you shooting on Friday and a video of you shooting on Saturday, and and the commentary that you had to give was, and it may be hard to do this now because it's a little bit long ago, but do the best you can, even if it's wrong, don't worry about it. Um, the uh if you had to if you had to voice over how you experienced the round on friday and how you experienced the round on saturday what comments would you give and if you would need me to ask that in another way so you understand it then just let me know i mean i think friday was just kind of we said as far as emotions were just not very good emotions i mean still being happy and everything but just the environment influence and stuff saturday environment made everything better happier um and i think that translated into me shooting a lot better and second day no meds i know it was going to be better going into it like i knew it was going to be a better day Mm -hmm. i mean warming up felt better um and i think i did better on my first couple stations on like i did i did pretty good on those i don't know if i ran them but i did pretty good and i think that kind of translated because uh, Friday, I just dug a hole. It's like I did I did pretty good, and then I just did bad on a couple of stations, and I just couldn't recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and Saturday, every time I would do bad, if I would drop one bird on a station, I would be able to recover. Um, I think that was one of the biggest differences, is I was able to recover more, which is good having that safety net of that good squad that we had. Yeah. Um, but, I mean... I feel like my eyes were working a lot better because mm-hmm. I could see better. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have wind going, coming through my glasses. That was freaking bad hitting. That thing was bad. I some, it cost me three targets, I think. I needed some blinders. I mean, it was, it was like I was going blind in the middle of a shot. Uh, it was bad. I mean, and the sun was great on Saturday. I mean, everything was good. That round was amazing. But, I mean, I, I, I definitely was still careful. Mm-hmm. I was still as I was still being as cautious on the way I shot that I was on Friday, but I was able to read the birds a lot better and be more self-aware and be able to break more targets because I was still more self-aware. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
that was Friday. It was just I just sacrificed that. I just had to sacrifice that event. <laughs> you just had to, you had to I mean, let it. And that's part. I kind of learned that, and I learned that through Curtis too. As far as like, you got to have one event that it's just gonna be bad, especially if somebody has ADHD. <laughs> it's you're gonna have one event that's just bad, and you're just gonna have to accept that. And I think I kind of just accepted that. Um, I think for me, what I do is I don't. That is true, because. I can't, um, it's not possible for me unless I care so much about this tournament that I, uh, can be focused in every single event throughout a whole week. Yeah, I mean, it's not possible. The only time I've ever done it was the U.S. Open in 2016 because I'm, I made a, a a promise to Wendell's uh, wife, who was in the hospital uh, at the time, that she wanted me to go win and bring the trophies back to her, and that gave me enough focus to do what I could do, and I, I won everything. Um, which is a real bummer that that's the case, and I and I can't I can't access that without something that powerful because of you know I always ask myself the question and and this is why this kind of conversation is good because I'm not sitting here saying that I have the answer for this because I don't have the answer for it and I've I've worked my whole life to try to figure out how it's possible to how can I is it possible for someone like me or someone like you to flip a switch in our brain and focus on that for it for the whole time. And the, and the problem is, the answer is yes. But the caveat is that if we care. And so the other caveat is that we care about things that don't make sense. Yeah. You know, and, it, and that's so frustrating. Um, and for people that are listening to this, that think that, that ADHD is not real. They have no idea. Like, oh my god! They have it's no like, idea. It's a struggle. Man. It's so hard. Um, and you know, recently, I don't know if you do. You have any social media? Mm-mm. Yeah, you're smart. Um, on uh, on social media for the past like year and a half, kind of like since COVID. The big thing on social media has been like how ADHD is like, well, this great thing and you can hyper focus and all these people that have ADHD are, are better. That is like the worst message to give people because it's not true. It's, it's horrendously difficult. It makes your, it throws your life upside down. It's like you can't pay attention to things that you want to pay attention to. And so when you, when you talk about competing, it's very, very interesting to create creativity that you have to structure your thought process around in order to be able to focus that way like um it's just very very challenging and um the anyways talking about adhd i just went off a massive tangent (laughs) but yeah but on top of that um you know taking that and pulling it into your round um uh, what I want to talk about a little bit is 
So that's the difference between how you felt on Friday versus how you felt on Saturday. I would, I'm going to give you my observation of the difference too. Um, the observation of the difference, what, what I observed in your body language and your, it really mainly was your body language, there almost was barely a difference. Um, but where you did do something differently was that you were more comfortable being uncomfortable when you called pull and you did one of two things a little bit better. You either trusted what you were doing or you didn't care. Yeah. And, um, you just existed in that state a little bit better but then also a, a subtle difference was um, the the intensity of the focus of the squad was a little bit more ramped up on Friday on Saturday, um, and you kind of fed off that a little bit, and um, so because you've never shot with me before what I wanted to ask you was in, in by listening to your answers the, to the questions I've already given you um, it kind of already gives me the answer to this question but I, I'm going to ask it so you recognize it how much does the aura of the people that you're shooting with influence your ability to shoot oh it influences hugely hugely mm -hmm. as far as being able to come back from you not doing well on a station like if you zero a station if you've got a good squad you can recover from that yes if you don't have a good squad it is hard to recover from that yes and i think that really translated into what i saw with Haley. as i mean she shot like a one on a station and she was able to recover and end up shooting she ended up sh shooting her best score at the time which was at 90 after after shooting like a zero on the station that like on the station the day prior yeah like that's impressive to be able to recover from something like that yeah because that really messes you up mentally yeah you're like why did i miss yes 10 birds and um is your so my question to you now is what happens when you're on a squad of people that negatively influence your ability to shoot well i mean you start second guessing yourself you start you start thinking no, no, about all the other I mean, stations. I mean, like, what will you do to not, not have a negative squad? Yes. What would I do to not be negative? Not interact with my squad? <laughs> Go sit in the can-am and listen to music? <laughs> and not, because I've been on squads that were pretty negative, mm -hmm. and I just, like, stay in my own lane. Did you happen to notice what you said in the answer to... Um, when you said on Friday, if I if I was not on that squad, I probably would have been not in a good mood. Yeah. Do you know why? I just. It's. It's sub that squad supplemented, as far as like the energy of that squad, supplemented the energy that I wasn't getting. Yeah. From the environment, like, I think that that really played a big role in me not shooting him. 36 or whatever I was in the shoot. Yes. I, mean, I probably wouldn't have shot that bad, but... And so... Um, 
quote. Did you did you notice a difference in my personality on Friday for Saturday oh, for Sunday? Oh yes, you were way more focused on Saturday and Sunday than you were on Friday. You were equally as like you were joking around with all of us all three days. But yeah, I feel like you're a little bit more focused. And what what did you notice a difference in? Was it like um, did it feel like it was segmented in when I was focused, or I was yes, focused the whole time? You were segmented. When was I segmented? Friday. No, no. I mean, when... Oh, you were segmented. Like, you would get really focused, like, beginning before you would shoot. And as soon as you would get done shooting, then you would kind of go... Turn the switch off. Yeah, you would turn it off. And what would I do when I turned the focus switch off? And you'd just go talk and just... Goof around a little bit. Goof around a little bit, yeah. So, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because... Because you are so much like me in your personality and the way that you are easily influenceable by uh, the your surroundings, not just the people, but like I don't mean like your decisions are influenceable, but yeah. your mood is influenceable by your surroundings and uh, so the people and the environment. Uh, you will learn that you can flip that around and influence your environment. And that's what I was doing there, where it, there, there will always be somebody on any squad. You don't have to be a professional shooter. Um, there will always be somebody on every squad that determines the mood. And there's, as a competitor, when you're trying to learn how to compete at the highest level, there are two things you can do. If you get on a squad that's a bunch of, I call them negative Nancys, just a bunch of sour, you know, buttheads, basically, um, that don't, that for some reason are doing a hobby for a lack of fun. Yeah. (laughs) If you get a squad of people like that on there, you have two choices where you can do that where it's like, okay, I'm just not going to associate with the squad. I'm going to remove myself from the situation. I'm going to go to the canyon, listen to music, and then come out and shoot. The problem is that's very, very isolating. Yeah. And the problem is that for you, that type of isolation will not allow you to focus. Like you, You're going to need... Inter social interaction for you is going to be stimulating, and you'll need some level of stimulation to be able to flip that focus switch on and off. Now you will notice certain days where your um, your ability to focus for a round is like an inhuman level, where that can be a round where you don't even say a single word the whole round other than pull. Yeah, and that's going to come every once in a while and those are going to be the strangest days you know if you haven't had one yet in a tournament you will and um it's just basically when everything is right and you're very motivated it's very you know the the course is interesting the the topography is beautiful the background is cool there are targets you haven't seen before the squad is good you're in a new fun place it's challenging targets that, that you you see the depth of the technicality in the core set. They're not just straightforward. You know, days like that 
where you also care about the tournament, you're going to be like locked in. Not you could. Uh, I said it in my last podcast I released. You could set a bomb off behind you and you won't know. But um, so that's its own thing. But if you do that isolation thing, you will still feel. The problem is you're going to be very empathetic and you're going to still feel the emotion of the people around you. Even if you just come out of your Can-Am, go shoot and go back to the Can-Am. Because that is going to influence them. Because they're going to be like, well, he doesn't want to be social with us. And then it's going to influence their perception of you. And that's going to influence your perception of them. There's this back and forth social yeah. trading thing that happens. And so, but because of who you are and what your personality is like, same thing with me. Um, the What you can do is is be overly positive. If you are a, a person with a, like an outlier personality, people will pay attention to that and they will respond to the way that you respond. And you can influence the personality of it. Like I, I have not shot on a squad that was not fun to shoot on in seven years. <laughs> I have. <laughs> but the, the difference is that I have. I just don't let it get that way. And so what ends up happening, it, like every time I'm on a squad, if we're shooting terrible, or if there's somebody that's really, really not having fun, and you can flip that around on them by just overdoing, you know, be positive, be funny, joke around, um, be sociable, distract them, use your empathy to pay attention to what they're paying attention to and influence that. So, um, uh, I wanted that. I wanted you to know that because um, Curtis is right about sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice around. But as a as a shooter and a competitor, as yourself and as a coach for me and a shooter and competitor, that that's an unacceptable answer for me. I don't want yeah. to give myself an excuse. I mean, I do. But I also don't want to give myself an excuse to say like, okay, which which one I'm am yeah. I going to bomb? Because you don't want to do that. You want as a competitor every round to be very very good. Um, so you, the way that you do that is you pick what you define good as. Is it going to be performance or is it going to be mood? Is it going to be focus or is it going to be enjoyment? Is it going to be socialization or is it going to be focus? Whatever you want, uh, that's what you're gonna that's what you predetermine the round to be. So for me, because I really care about main events and feet task, I'll pick side events so that I'm going to either be very, very interceptive during the round and pay attention to me so I can build a game plan for the main event. Um, or I will pick a little like 50 get 50 targets, 12 gauge uh, course, to, to actually like goof off and have fun, whatever it is, yeah. But just predetermine it, and um, and build and learn to build a program around the way that you need to shoot for the things that you care about, and don't mi incorrectly identify every event that you go to as something that you should care about because it might, you know, if you do care about every event at a, you know, like maybe for the state shoot, you're like, I want to win my class in every event. Well, then, then you'll probably be able to do that. But if you don't feel that way, you won't be able to, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. You know. Um, okay, so I do want to get into talking about your Sunday round. But before we do, I want to give you, and it's off the cuff, so 
don't feel like you have to immediately answer on the spot. Like if there's four minutes of dead silence in here, that's totally fine. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity to, if there's any question that you have for me on the either something that you saw I was doing, something that you didn't understand about how I did something, not just mechanically, but like the way I was acting or the way I was focusing or whatever it was, or something that you found about yourself that you want clarification or direction on, I want to give you the opportunity to ask now before we get into talking about Sunday. Can I talk about your round Sunday? Yeah. Can I ask questions yeah, about that? Anything, absolutely. How did you stay in it? that long as far as because like you had a couple of bad moves but you were able to recover from that yeah how are you able to recover from those bad moves and still be able to hit the birds um because like you had a couple of bad mounts mm-hmm. i noticed mm-hmm. where you had to correct on the second the, on yes. the second bird yes um yeah like you, you so you were noticing me sometimes unmounting the gun and remounting yes it. yeah like how did you how are you able to pull that off um that's that's a very very good question um it goes back to being interceptive versus extraceptive when if i do everything right the only way i can explain this and i don't know if you've ever experienced this before if you haven't you will um and also if you haven't yet then don't feel bad because I, I don't remember when I was able to think of it this way and I may not even be able to explain how I experienced this uh, well enough for you to understand what I'm talking about um, but every once in a while when I do everything right here's a good way of explaining it I was I've been I normally never listen to my own podcast I just like I said, I post in ghost <laughs> and, um, cause I don't have the time to talk it all out for two hours and then listen to it for two hours and edit it for five hours. So, um, I never listened to it. And the most recent ones I would say, so my one with Curtis and the one that I just released yesterday, I have listened to, I listened to that one that I released yesterday, last night before I fell asleep. And I didn't realize how freaking fast I talked like really fast sometimes I talk so fast I, I'm like holy cow how did I say that so fast and uh, but in my head I'm not hearing it that fast it's like slow to me and um, but that's on a podcast when I am really into the topic like uh, right now for two people who have ADHD to be talking to each other like we're actually doing really really good yeah, on this conversation this is like really good these are two unmedicated people <laughs> yeah exactly and um the and so when I get into something that I really really enjoy my level of intensity of focus blows up like it goes through the roof and I know that you same thing happens for you and the same thing happens when I'm teaching I get like excited and amped up and and but normally if I'm at home, not doing something or whatever, I don't talk fast. And uh, I don't think fast because it's so hard to organize my thoughts. But when I'm shooting, if I do everything right, I literally can process um, sensory data, meaning like what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling everything 
I can process that so fast that it feels like I have minutes for the target to be in the air. And I will have conversations with myself as, like I, I remember three times in that round, I actually had to correct the move before I even shot the first target. Because, and that's why I wore a jacket the rest of the round, because... Because um, this were warming up. Like yeah, I was, cool and stuff. I was like, hot. I up. definitely was hot for the last half of the round, especially the last like three stations. But because my weight has been changing and I've been trying to do more workouts for a little bit of my upper body, like I've gotten thicker up here and it's changed where my gun is coming in. I definitely want to get it. I want to redo my stock. And, um, and I just couldn't get the gun to feel right. And so I'd finish a mount and it would be like wrong and and I would be realistically f a foot or two before my planned breakpoint in the line and I would have a whole conversation with myself in my head like it would literally be like that didn't feel right I can either dismount I can dismount the gun and correct it um, and but that's gonna make the shot happen probably about four feet late but the other thing I could do is I could shoot it this way if I shoot it this way I know the gun is wrong because it feels wrong on my shoulder. It feels like it's, you know, canted a little bit. And um, and because it's canted wrong, the pitch is also wrong. And that's giving me too much of a profile of the rib. I see too much rib right now. And so I know that if I want to hit this without adjusting my stock, my mount, I need to change my posture and get my posture a little bit lower. So would it be easier right now if I bring my posture lower or if I undo and redo my mount? And they think, oh, I'll undo, redo my mount, and I do it. And that all happens in three feet of the line of the target, going 50 miles per hour. Yeah. I have no idea how I do it that fast, but it, that I, I monologue exactly what goes through my head. That's the process that happens in my head, and it happens that fast. And then and I observe all those things. I think about all the things. I make the decision in the middle of the round, like, okay, it sounds good. And then I just do it. So that's what I'm experiencing when I'm making those changes. And the... You throw on top of that that you're sitting on a perfect score. And the normal experience for somebody would be to panic. Be like, oh crap, I did this wrong. This isn't going to be good. And then you freak out. But going into understanding the neurology uh, and the science um, and honestly the brain chemistry of everything that's happening there, the reason why I'm able to do that is because I'm doing all of the things correctly. Like I'm... I, I don't show it that I'll, you won't be able to see it that much in a round because I do it like I'll go in into the golf cart or away because it's kind of loud but I do very serious um, breathing exercises and so I keep my blood oxygen level really high I allow myself to get a, to have adrenaline because it's good I allow myself to be nervous I want to be nervous like if I notice that I don't care I'll make myself think about things that aren't good to think about. So after the fifth station, after the second station on Sunday, I was like, I think I'm going to shoot 100 straight today. Actually, I talked to Curtis on the morning and I was like, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to run the course today. And I was doing all of that to build pressure. Um, and I, I also felt like I could because of what I learned Friday to Saturday. And then after Saturday's round, I was like, I know what I need to do to be able to shoot a perfect round. And so I, I needed to get past the awkwardness of feeling um, 
feeling cold in the gun because my gun never feels like my gun because I shoot so many other guns, you know, during lessons and stuff. So I, I felt like if I could get past the first couple of stations, I'd be good. And um, and so I'm if I like on the last station, walking to the last station, I walked to it. I, I started thinking like I hope that everybody. I wasn't thinking this on accident. I was choosing to think about this. I was thinking, okay, there's a backup behind us. I kind of hope that everybody stays to watch. I want the pressure of having everybody there for me to shoot the last station and possibly shoot a hundred straight. And I, and because then I immediately started to think about like, well, that would really suck if I missed. And I started to imagine thinking about like, well, what would like, oh, I missed that last one. I was, I was comparing and contrasting the emotion of like running a hundred straight versus missing one on my last station in front of everybody. And I was like trying to live in that negative space to get myself nervous. And because I want the nervousness, because I understand the, the brain chemistry of nervousness and the adrenaline and the right oxygen levels, but then also I can flip it to being dopamine when I get in there and be comfortable in that position. So I don't care what I think about in between stations because I'm also very interceptive on my body. I understand that negative thoughts negatively influence my physiology. So it's going to make me breathe poorly. It's going to make me not focus on what I'm doing. But if I, if I exist in negative thoughts on autopilot, but because I can think I can exist in negative thoughts, not on autopilot, I can control all the instruments. You know what I mean? Giving like a plane analogy. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, so basically what I do is just with all of the right combinations of all those neurochemicals, your, your eyes are working so well that things look like they're in slow motion. And if they're working that well and you're being that interceptive and you don't care about the, the shot, you don't care about the placement of the gun and you're also at peace with whatever result the shot happens to be it's not that i don't care if i miss and it's also not that i really care if i miss it's like the best way i can explain it is that it's like a, a buddhist monk <laughs> okay which is that they're just like at peace with the world and the universe it, it's not that you care or don't care it's just that you are and i really accept that about the result when I'm shooting well. And so I have no panic of, well, I'm going to miss this. The shot's going to be bad. That's okay. Whatever. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so the, it's basically that I'm eliminating anxiety by existing in it, but counter counteracting all the negative side effects of it. Because that that blend of those two things makes you be able to perceive things at a very heightened level. And for anybody that's ever been in an ax car accident or a really high adrenaline moment, you would know, you know, you, everything seems like in slow motion. So there's to give you a 20 minute answer to your, I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, you have any other questions about anything? No. Okay. I'm not thinking something later. Um, uh, okay. So what, before talking about the round on Sunday, I want to, um, after you shot Saturday, did you look at scores? Nope. Did you feel like you shot well? Yeah. yeah. I figured I was going to be about sitting in like top three. 
And did you, um, how about in the morning on Sunday? What, what were you thinking? What was your mood of morning of Sunday? I mean, I was in a pretty good mood because I knew I'd shot, I mean, I'd recovered. I mean, that was my whole deal. I was like, man, right. I, I recovered from 56 on Friday, shooting 8-7 on Saturday. That's right. pretty impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. I was like, even if I lose, I don't even care. I'm like, that's just impressive just to experience that. Um, so I think I came into it with a good mood. Kind of had the squad figured out. Mm-hmm. As far as squad dynamics, as far as our emotions, how we all fed off of each other, and it kind of knew... Like okay, it's just gonna be another shoot. Like, I I, I now know. Like going into Friday, I didn't know like kind of how everything was gonna play out. First time shooting with you, first time shooting with Curtis Haley, and since I knew that going into Sunday, like I knew after shooting Saturday, I kind of figured it all out. And then knowing all the information I found out Saturday, I felt really good going into Sunday as far as like, all right, I can. I think I can do better. I think I can beat my my score from Saturday. Yeah. Um, and it was just another good day. Yeah. It was another bluebird. Really good day. Uh, yeah, the environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, compare your emotion for the first 15 minutes leading up to the first station on Saturday versus Sunday. I think it was about the, about the same. About the same. Um I think I felt about the same going into it, and I performed the same. I'm pretty sure on the first station on both days, mm-hmm. which I think I went like dead loss, dead loss, dead loss, dead loss, dead pair. I think Saturday you ran the first station. Oh, I did run. I yeah, don't know. I did. I, I Saturday, Saturday. I think, I think Saturday you were almost. I think you were straight the first three. Maybe I don't remember. Um, I know you. If I you, was not on Sunday. Yeah, so your start for Saturday was much better than your start for Sunday. Yeah. Uh, no, I, and I mean like just specifically the very first station. Um, but, uh, so you felt like kind of basically the same emotional state? Yeah, I felt up? the same emotional state um, Saturday that I did I mean, Sunday and Saturday. I kind of felt the exact same. It was kind of amped up, excited, ready for the round. Um and uh, so on the first station, what do you th- don't worry about that making noise? Okay. Um, on the first station, what do you feel like was? Um, how do you feel like you either handled or did not handle properly the way you were feeling on Sunday? On Sunday. I think I went into it feeling really good, and then I went dead loss, dead loss, dead loss, dead loss on it, and that kind of bummed me out a little bit. But I realized I was, I'm like, man, I'm being too careful. So Speed what up. what happened on? Um, so your first pair, you go dead loss. What do you think? What do you think? Well, it was a tough pair because we shot in the morning, and the shadows were terrible, mm-hmm. really bad shadows. So I changed my kind of my whole point and stuff on it and so I shot a little different and I shot it different each time I knew I could get the second bird so I knew I could at least 50% on that station but uh, just making little minor adjustments and when when I came out of that station having hit 50% I asked you why and you're like that's a really tough bird 
because of the shadows. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's a very deceiving bird because of the way it looks. It's mm-hmm. a black belly target against a background that's got shadows half lit up and half shadows. It looks like it's far out and it's not far out. It's in your face. Yes. Um, so I think that kind of influenced different things. Yeah. The So th- this was an example of me giving... That was the first one to shoot too. Yeah. That didn't help. So my, my answer to you on that station was an example of what I was talking about where sometimes I give you an answer that's not true so I can influence you a little. <laughs> the, I believe I ga- it true. I gave you that answer to, in your head, make it not your fault. Yeah. Does that make sense? It was my fault. Yeah, I it said was my home point wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was your fault. I said 100%. my break point wrong. <laughs> but what I didn't want to do was was flip the perspective of your wrong, of your round after shooting a score that was so good on Saturday, I didn't want you to start the round off to be immediately thinking like, I just made a big mistake and cost myself four birds. What I wanted you to think was, I did everything that I needed to do. It was just totally, it was because of something external to me that I missed. Just the trickery. Um, hey, it's just all about the trickery. trickery. Manipulation. I'm an expert. I, I just need to be manipulated when I shoot, I yeah. guess. <laughs> so, um, because honestly, that's the way that um, you know, like the, the, uh, I always liked in a round, I'll do that a lot if I'm shooting with students, um, to, if I assess this, if I assess the situation that you were emotionally going to be totally fine. And I would, and, uh, like if you're missing because of pure mechanics and not because of the headspace that you're in. Then I will tell you the mechanical reason. But if the misses are happening because of bad mechanics caused by the emotional state that you're in, then I don't want to tell you something negative about you in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, because that will make it worse. Um, but uh, the uh, so then okay, so tell me about the next station. Next station, I think it was like an incomer and a right to left crosser, a report pair. Mm-hmm. I think it was was it a report pair. It might have been. A it was pair. a true pair. It was a true pair. Yeah, but I mean, you, it was a pretty easy true pair, and I think I went like dead pair, dead loss, dead loss, dead pair, or something like that. Yeah. Um, that I was being so slow. And careful. Yeah. I just was not... My eyes were not being fast. Yeah. I mean, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, but I mean, <laughs> my, I was just not being... My eyes were not being fast at all. My hands, nothing was connecting right. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened on station one. I just didn't know it because of your manipulation trickery. Because <laughs> um, I went back and shot that station again last Friday, and I, like, broke it off the arm. Yeah. I was, like, breaking it. I'm like, man, I just... I shot it just too careful and too slow. Mm -hmm. And I think, which we can get into it a little bit later, just if I would have known what I knew when I started running stations, was that station five or six? I started running station five. I definitely would have ran that station. Mm -hmm. Like if I could have shot station five first, I probably would have done shot a 90 something on that round. What did you uh, learn on station five? Uh, station five is when I learned about being amped as far as the shots. And I think me successfully 
trying out because I mean I was down ten targets, and I knew I was down ten targets, and I think I asked you something, and you're like either shoot a hundred or shoot a thirty eight. Yeah. So I was like, I'm either gonna go all, and I'm gonna shoot a fifty something today, or yeah. I'm gonna shoot a ninety today. Yeah. And so I kind of took that and used it as far as hey, I just shot that station a way that I didn't think I could shoot that station yeah. and I just ran it. Yeah. So like I can do anything now. Yeah. And it felt good. Everything <laughs> felt good. Yeah. So I kind of used that and built off that as far as man, I can break targets a foot from the ground. Yeah. And I kind of got that whole weekend got me into training because I was really struggling transitioning to my second bird and shooting it too fast. Same thing Curtis does. Mm-hmm. Freaking get on the second bird just bam yeah way too fast and feeling the birds out more Mm -hmm. on your second bird Mm -hmm. and i figured that out on that second on that uh station five because you shoot the first bird and then that second bird's dropping fast so you got to feel it out a little bit more and then you break it and when you see you crush it when you start crushing birds a foot from the ground that's a lot that really gets you hyped like oh you yeah get, it amps you up a lot <laughs> yeah, that rick flair yeah. special yeah exactly that's like smelling salts man it's just like <laughs> smelling salts. it's just like Woo. it amps you up man yeah um but i think knowing that really influenced how i shot the rest of the round mm-hmm. i mean you talked about it on your last podcast i was down 10 targets and i only missed two from station five to station what was it, 14 or yeah, 13 10, 10 stations yeah i mean i only missed two the so you you um in the two I missed one of them was uh it was a trap it was a trap bird mm-hmm. and I just set up my break point too far to the left yeah so when I went up I was to the left of it because I set up too far to the left yeah and then I don't remember on the other one I don't remember the other bird that you missed I don't either I think it was on the pond station it might have been that it was a that was a weird bird because of the way it reflected across the water it kind of was it. It was a little bit of a duel of it's deceiving. Was it maybe on station 13 that you missed one? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that was a really hard station. That was a very hard set. I think you... No, you didn't. Obviously, you didn't miss one. Right. I think <laughs> Curtis missed one, and I think Haley missed one on that station. That I think like Haley a, missed all, all of the second one. All but one of the second one. That was a really hard station. Or something like... No, it was minus one. Yeah, I don't remember. But that was a very hard station. Um, I think I missed my last bird on that. I feel like. Something like that, yeah. The... Um, so you came to me on the fourth station after you shot that and missed your tenth target, and you you were like, "Man, what am I doing? I can't. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, and I can't even feel my. I can't even feel the way I'm moving." Yeah. And uh, and so I told you that what I told you, which was. I basically I said it wrong in the moment because it was like um, uh, it was uh, spur of the moment conversation. I said I either want you to shoot. I was like I'm not I, you know basically I either want you to shoot a hundred today or a thirty eight or whatever it was. What I what I should what I meant to say and what I was thinking was you know basically you're down ten birds and you have ninety. You're sitting on a ninety with ten stations left. I either want you to shoot a ninety or I want you to shoot a thirty eight. And uh, but hundred meaning hundred percent. And what did that mean to you? I mean, I, I think that got me out of my mindset of being careful. Yeah. Because I mean, it just got me into a mindset where it's like, if I'm gonna do this thing, I gotta give it a hundred percent. I mean, I was giving it a hundred percent, but I mean, I'm just gonna go. 
I don't care what I shoot. I mean, I, I really don't care about that. I care about finishing strong on this round and being able to get myself out of this hole. Yeah. Because that round was a learning experience more than anything. Yeah. I could have shot a 38 on that, but I would have learned so much. Right. The, um, uh, yeah, what I, it was funny to, I knew that it, that, that got through to you. Cause when I said that to you, you, you like, you froze and then you know how like dogs tilt their head when they're yeah. thinking, <laughs> you did that, you looked at me and then your head got sideways and then it was like multiple seconds and then you're like, oh, I like that. And you turn around like super positive and you're like pumped to get to the next one. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's about to be straight to the next stage. <laughs> yeah, you straight at like the, the next, next like seven stations and, um, uh, and because what you completely understood what I was trying to say, and but I didn't want to. If I told you it in the way other than that way, oh yeah, I definitely, it, it, it would, would have not, not worked. gotten through. Yeah, if I said stop being careful, don't be defensive, it doesn't get through like that. Yeah, it, because what I wanted you to understand was that I would rather have you shoot a thirty-eight. Yeah, you don't a, care about my score. Uh, yeah, I, well, I would. I would literally be more proud if you shot a thirty-eight that day. Than a seventy-five, yeah, because a seventy-five means you're playing defense, and the thirty-eight means you're playing offense, and you just keep throwing interceptions. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you're throwing hail marys down the field every time because you're balling out, but it's just not going your way that day. Yeah, and I would rather have a round like that than a round where you're you're just you know throwing three yard passes and and you know like third down just running a two or three yard. Yeah, you know. That's that's Just no way to away. play the game. That's yeah. not the way to play the game because you're gonna give up too many, and um, but that's the way that you were playing the game for the first four stations, and which is which is the most. I mean, everybody does that. What you did there, two things: the way you started that round, and so the way that you started that round. After having gone from a 56 on Friday to an 87 or 8, whatever it was, 80 something. 56 to 86, 56 to 86, 86 to 88. Yeah. So going from a 56 to an 86 is a huge change. And 86 is a good round and everybody on the squad is shot good. And then we, we go into Sunday kind of existing in that space of like, okay, First day was good. Let me make sure it's the same today. And the statement of, and I'm personifying emotions there in a, in a sentence, but that let me make sure that it's the same today is what gets us. That's, that gives us the 75 instead of the 90 or the 38. And um, everybody does that. Every person has done that multiple times. I continue to do that to this day. And it's crazy how hard it is to external to get outside of yourself and recognize that that's happening, and so, um, so you did what everybody does. So you you can't you should not feel bad about it. The um, but what you did that I was so incredibly I mean, I, like I I uh, on my way I didn't want to tell you this because I wanted to tell you it on a pot on the podcast so that. Um, the the episode would be better because if I said it for the second time, it wouldn't. I hate this chair. <laughs> if this I said it for th- it's so bad. If I said it for the second time on the podcast, it wouldn't. I don't think get through to you as much. Um, but 
I li- I'll show you if I can find them if they're not too far back. Show you my text messages to my parents and my girlfriend about you on Sunday, and I I literally said something along the lines of like that was quite possibly one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen because I literally said a cryptic five word sentence to you on purpose. I didn't want to give you the answer. I wanted you to either fail miserably or pull it off because both of those options are a big learning experience. And right now you are so young that you're 16 years old. And right, yeah, yeah, six. I have to ask because you seem like you're 35. (laughs) You're, um, you're so young that who cares if you suck it up right now? Yeah, if you have all these losses where you're learning an incredible amount about yourself, that's so much better than existing in mediocrity. I'd rather you bomb or blow it up. And as long as the bomb and the blowing it up in a good way, um, are something that you can analyze, access, and learn from. Um, and uh, but what was so cool is that you you didn't have to ask me what I meant. You and you just you thought about it critically because you're very much an analytical person. And um, and then you took your own meaning from it. Again, you didn't ask me what I meant. And then you applied it immediately without failing at the application of it, which for the first time to experience that, to pull it off successfully, when you consciously understand and make a decision to do it correctly is so hard. I don't think you understand how how cool it was what you did, because there will be times where we accidentally turn a bad round into a good round and we don't really understand what it was that happened. But if the first time you're in that situation and you're, uh, you're leading, you shot an awesome score the first day and you go in the second day and you start really tight and you're, you're being cautious and careful and you're shooting with the person that teaches you. And there's, there's like, there's, it was a fun squad, but there was also a lot of pressure on that squad. And I mean, if there wasn't, I would have not shot a hundred straight. And um, so you're dealing with all of this, and then to not be told the answer, to understand what I mean by that sentence, and to consciously say, "Okay, I'm just gonna stop being careful." You don't understand how hard just stopping being careful yeah. is. People can't do that, and. Now, don't expect that to happen all the time that way. But I, that is such a massive learning experience for you that I want you to make it to where you, you so intimately understand your own thoughts from that round and your own emotions from that round and your own decisions from that round that you can access that again. And it's not saying that the next time you're in a situation like that, it will be the same. Because you may be able to make the same decisions again and do the same stuff, but it won't net in the same result. Because there's all these other different influencing factors around you doing that. Um, But but the... So there's that. Now talk to me a little bit about like um, as you were halfway through... So to say the first four stations went that way. Then you make that decision at the end of the fourth. You started on the fifth. You run the fifth. 
Talk to me about station 10. You're halfway through the rest of the course. You're, you're either down one or still straight. What were you, how were you dealing with the progression of from station to station to station and having this massive contrast of performance, but not allowing the contrast of performance and how good you were doing to pull you out of being present and cautious? What decisions were you making? What thoughts did you have? I mean, I think everything fell into place as far as what I was trying to do on the first five stations. I was able to do after I ran it. Yeah. After you run a station, it's like you can do anything. Yeah. Everything falls into place. It's, yeah. it's just validation, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's validation that, okay, I can do what I say I'm going to do. My plan works. Mm-hmm. I can do what my plan is. Because mm-hmm. I just got the, I just hit 10 birds on yes. the station and I planned on hitting that many. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. And so, like, there's no reason I should miss. Yes. Um, and I think me flipping the script on that round validated everything I wanted to do on the first couple stations that I wasn't able to do because of bad mechanics mm-hmm. and different and manipulation. <laughs> uh, I was able to do on station five through 14 or 13, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and... I think I had a lot of pressure on there because, I mean, I was impressed. I mean, just my pressure to impress you and impress Curtis. Yeah. Because, I mean, Curtis came down from Florida to come right. shoot with me. And I, I felt really good because I could, I could, when I would turn around, like, Curtis was super happy and super proud. Yeah. Because, I mean, I flipped the script. And I could tell you were proud, too, yes. even though you had a pretty... You were, I was you trying to off, give you nothing. I was. I know. <laughs> I, I it was figured hard. that out. Yeah. yeah. Even and I'm like, glad you didn't. I mean, I'm yeah. glad you. You really did good. Yeah. I was. I'll, I was literally. I was literally trying to make it to where, for the. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a few stations like the. The. I think it was the fourth. It was either the third or fourth station. You did really, really bad. It was the worst one. Oh yeah, the one where I got like that was bad. That was bad. Situation. It was bad. And you turned around, and I had to avoid looking at you, so I couldn't because I yeah, didn't want. Like, you yeah, you like looking at the sky. <laughs> yeah. like, I like. I walked birds. into the station and I looked left because I, not that I would, not that I um, uh, like I was trying to avoid looking at you because I wanted you to figure it out. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. Um, and that's why I gave you the answer that I gave you when you asked me that question because I didn't want to give you the answer. I wanted to see if you could critically think through what I was, what I meant. Yeah, and I think that's gonna really gonna translate, and that's really gonna help me in the future on yeah. future rounds. You don't learn, whoa. you don't learn anything by being given answers. Oh yeah, and you are analytical enough to where you problem solve until you have an answer, and that's why I was doing that because. Because it it really what I saw in after the after Saturday I was like that's that's really really cool because how long how many years have you been competing how many years have you been doing NSCA shooting I think this is, this is my third season okay so um, and first season I started shooting NSCA stuff like halfway through the first season and and how many tournaments I mean. In total, I've ever shot. Yeah. I think my lifetime registered targets is like four thousand, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty. I don't have very many life. Like I don't have very right. many registered targets. Yeah, really, I mean, really, but the I'm pretty new at it. Yeah, very so, new. Yeah, I mean, um, and 
Yeah, I mean, you. I shoot like barely at all. And the amount of, and I shoot uh, four to 6,000 targets a year registered. You have 4,003 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you looking it up? Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. But, um, yeah, I saw the opportunity for the weekend to be very, very valuable to you because of going from a 56 to an 86. The contrast of that performance, that's a really, really cool thing to experience because you didn't... It's like that really annoying but also very, very true statement about... My lifetime targets are 7,375 and targets since 10-1 of prior year is only 800. Yeah. So I guess that's my carryovers or whatever. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, the, uh, that annoyingly but accurately old statement about, um, have a memory like a goldfish or something. like You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, where you just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's stupid because it oversimplifies what it means, but sometimes oversimplification is good. That's why I said shoot 100 or 38. Yeah. Um, that was like the best thing you could have said. Yeah. I've been doing this long enough. That was the best but, manipulation you could have ever done. <laughs> yeah. The But that's... I was like, oh, that was awesome that he went... You know, to, to be able to turn that around. And now we're sitting in a really good position, contrasted by a really bad one. So it's going to over amplify the importance of the good one, which hopefully I was hoping going into Sunday, you'd be nervous. Because like, if I can be with you when you experience that, that'd be very, very good because then I can observe you doing that. And I can afterwards, we can dissect and talk about the decisions that you made, whether it was good or bad maybe things that you don't know that you experienced that I observed that you experienced. Cause I was, I pay attention a lot to everybody when I'm, when um, I'm shooting with students and um, you know, literally uh, we were just talking about people with ADHD being very empathetic. I mean, I, if you're an empathetic person, but then also for a job every day, you use your empathy to read the body language of your student to understand how and what they were thinking you get you turn you become very much in tune with being able to pay attention to this kind of stuff because you know have you have we had a moment yet where in a lesson you know you take a shot or something and i tell you that you know you were thinking about xyz and you're like how the hell does he know that have you ever yeah i think we had some of that. yeah it's it, all that is is because i can tell what you're thinking because i can tell how your body's moving and it's so subtle that it's hard to most people don't even notice it but um, that's my job to do that every day and pay attention to it. So it's very obvious to me. So I'm also very in tune with it in a round. The difference in your persona, which was cool, that this happened prior to the switch in your body language, happened before you had evidence for yourself that it should change. It was when you after you tilted your head and thought about what i said and then you're like oh i like that that moment immediately your body language was different you you immediately became the the person that just threw all the chips on the table and was like i'm going all in without giving evidence that that would be okay for you to do like because you hadn't shot the next station yet to run one yet 
and you didn't know that that approach would work, but you'd made the decision to make that approach and commit to it. Um, and from that moment forward, it, it looked like you were, you were at a hundred straight with me. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, like you, you just by conscious choice decided to delete the cautiousness. So after talking about that a little bit, do you have, do you have any, are, are there any undefined things for you from that round that you like, that you experienced, but don't quite understand yet? I mean... I mean, I kind of figured, I've been, because I've been thinking about it a lot, as far, I, I kind of got a lot of the stuff figured out, and I think it's just going to take me shooting more, mm-hmm. and I think that's because I'm going to be able to look back at this round and compare it to all my rounds moving forward. Yeah. As far as, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. Um, I mean, I kind of started to understand stuff, and I'm kind of starting to work through different aspects of that round as far as feeling the second targets out more. Uh, understanding how stuff makes me amped. Mm-hmm. That's something that I learned about during that round. Yeah. Um, emotional states. Mm-hmm. Uh, just different things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so much more valuable to learn that in a match because the impact of it is way... Oh, yeah. You know, like we can talk about it theoretically in a lesson or in a conversation as much as we want, but until you experience it, it's... It, it's a it's still this theoretical thing that you can't grasp but now you have an experienced understanding of what that is like and how it influences your ability to move you know I mean could you tell that when you shot that one pair on station 5 that way that you literally felt like you could move your body better oh yeah isn't that wild I, mean, I felt like you do like it's my, wild yeah it was wild yeah I mean, the, the contrast... I think if I would have shot that pair differently, I would have had a completely different round. I agree. Yeah. If I would have shot that first bird, if I would have shot the front bird and then the backward, mm-hmm. completely different round. Yes. And I noticed yesterday in our practice, um, you were, without me like guiding you mu- that much, you were, um, you were experimenting with that. Yeah, with, it was. With the feeling of how you, what emotion you were in, how that was influencing. Like, oh man, it's changing the way I'm moving my hands or whatever it is. You know, my ankles and my posture and stuff. That's very, very good. It's very good that you let your mind explore those things. Yeah, and practice. that's what practice is for. Yes, yeah, that's very, very important. Um, the, uh, it was already two hours. We're two hours? Yeah. Jeez, I can't believe we made it this long. <laughs> I told you it'd be a long podcast. Um, okay, so how about other than maybe not necessarily undefined things, but now that we talked about your Sunday round, anything else you want to add to about it? I mean, not really. I think it was just, it was a good round for everybody. Yeah. Um, do you uh, do you have any questions or, or how about, I'm going to phrase it this way. What questions do you have? Not do you have any. I want you to have questions, even if you have to sit here and think about some, about anything related to... Give me one question related to your performance, one question related 
to something you observed in me and then one question that can be related to anything can I mean, be practice or anything how do you think do you think the way I've been performing in practice translated as far because when we shot a couple weeks prior to that mm-hmm. do you think a lot of what we implemented during those practices do you think I was using that during that tournament do you think I was implementing a lot of that during the tournament so like do, do, am, your question is am I seeing the mechanical changes that we put in place the mechanical and then just the process of reading the birds are you seeing those being implemented 100%. during the tournament yeah. and do you think it's benefiting me the way it should be yes it's be- it's uh, it's benefiting you yes it is um, it's not fully non-conscious yet which it shouldn't be um, it'll take you know a little bit longer for it to feel like you don't have to think about it anymore in your planning or in your setup or you know I can tell that you're at the point now where most of the time you don't think about it at all during the shot like during the shot you're not conscious yeah. on which is good um, uh, and um, yes it's definitely benefiting you except for certain times when I notice that you're thinking if it's happening or not that's when you get pulled out of yeah. the shot um, which also that's not a bad thing that's a good thing and it's just when it becomes non-conscious and going back to that episode 3 of series 1 of the podcast talk about central pattern generators upper and lower motor neurons when the control of your body completely converts to being done by the central pattern generators the signals being sent out to the lower motor neurons when that happens then that's when it won't cost you it won't hurt you because you're wondering if it's helping you so to speak because you won't even think about it anymore um and so i'm that's specifically talking about the process or uh, your mechanical movements in terms of your process i uh like you're in your uh like the routine that you're running in the round um the what i liked what i really liked to see uh was that every round was different for you which to me tells me for some people when you see that you you can make the the logical deduction that it's because they're not even thinking about what they're doing but when when i see your process changing in between stations and from day to day i can see the purpose behind the changes that you make which is good because i like the fact that you're comfortable experimenting in a round with the way that you're approaching the round and you're comfortable using that as an ex- as a scientific experiment when it counts because really that's the only way that you're going to learn you can't test uh you can't test a, pro, a, a tournament routine in a in practice. practice yeah. You just you got to be in a tournament. Yes, we're in that tournament mode. And the problem is, too many people are unwilling to give that up. Yeah, you know. And so, 
I there were, I noticed a few times when the choice that you would make to change in your process, whether it be how much you're putting into reading or how detailed your plan is or how, how much you're going in and out of being around the station and the targets versus isolating yourself. I noticed when you would make decisions to change based off of what was happening to your round, there were some times that the choices that you made hurt you and there were some times when they really, really helped you. And then, and I noticed that when the choice that you made hurt you, you quickly changed it to a, a and in the may, the next one may have hurt you again, but you didn't exist in those choices long for them to hurt you for a long period of time. And I mean, you shot two good rounds, so it's not going to really yeah. show. Um, and, and Friday, I wouldn't even worry about that. Um, no, we don't think about Friday. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, so yeah, I see you implementing them. I see you experimenting with them for the purpose of trying to learn what works best for you because I can't give you the best answer for that because your mind's different. Um, and your mind is going to be different every day. That's the problem of having ping pong balls bouncing off the inside of your head every day. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's very, very good. All right, next question. <laughs> I mean, how do you think, do you think the squad dynamic influenced you? Um, I... Uh, I think that I'm trying to figure out a way to say this politically basically I don't it's not possible for a squad to influence me good or bad because I set the tone for the squad mm -hmm. like if I was very serious and didn't talk Neither would any of the anybody uh -oh. else. So, um, but chem, but like squad chemistry is good, and that and that was good because it allowed everybody to feel comfortable doing that. Um, and uh, I just think that a squad like that is, you know, I mean, I, basically, I a hundred percent would do at any tournament. I would shoot at that with that squad. Unfortunately, not every tournament I get the choice. Um, Freaking super squad. Yeah, super squad and the world championships and stuff like that. But um, which is good for the sport. Yeah. What and sent and you know make it to where you're on there soon. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a great squad. I and you know the. The, the energy was good. The positivity of it was good. And the other thing that's good is that everybody there. Here's the thing that's that is good. Everybody that was on that squad was there for the main purpose of a performance, with a secondary follow up that was equally as important to enjoy the the round. And then probably as a third thing, what I did like is that everybody was willing to learn you know i mean i take my approach to tournaments is i don't go to a tournament to win i go to a tournament for every day that i shoot to learn one thing and i mean i really i don't i don't care what my performance is i care if i figured something out 
And sometimes I'm figuring something out that I already figured out, but I figured it out in a different way or I experienced it in a different way. And, uh, and so everybody had that mindset on that group. And that's very, very important because you, you build energy from day to day to day, you know, like you, you, the squad as a whole gets better every day. And that's something that's not normal. You know, like 99% of people that go to a tournament, if on Saturday, if they shoot a good score, Sunday, they're not going to. Look at, I mean, not to call people out, um, but it's just, it's everybody, most of the people that were there were in, are in the learning process of, um, Let's put it this way. Saturday, I shot 98. Second place was 97 going into Sunday. I had a one bird lead. I finished Sunday with a 14 bird lead. The reason why I did that is because the person that shot one lower than me didn't truly believe that they should have shot that score. They can, they can externalize that they think that they're that good, but the only reason why they didn't follow that up on Sunday was because that was an uncomfortable position for them to be in. It was a very comfortable position for me to be in. Yeah. And, but here's the thing. The evidence shows that that's a comfortable position for them because they did it. If you did it, then that's you. And all, and everybody goes through that process of, you know, like having it be hard to follow up a good round Saturday with the with a better round Sunday. Everybody goes through that until you learn that the only reason you're there in the position to be able to follow up with a good round on Sunday is because that's how good you actually are. You don't shoot you don't ever shoot better than you're capable of shooting. You only ever shoot as good as you possibly know. And um so Ronnie, if you're listening to this and you think that I just insulted you, I actually just complimented you because what I'm saying is you should believe that you're good enough to do that twice because you are. Um, so, uh, and also don't feel bad because everybody, I, I'll probably do it next weekend. <laughs> I'll probably shoot awesome the first day and suck it up in the lap. But, uh, but yeah, so the whole squad took that approach, w- w- which builds momentum and that's really, really good. Okay, last question about anything. I don't think I have another one. You don't have you're a question? Say that, you're going to say that for the next podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, it's already been long enough as is. Yeah, what is, we're at, two, yeah, two, now we're at basically two minutes and five. Or two hours and five minutes. Um, okay, cool. Well, um, do you want to give a uh, an outro? Or do you want me to do it? <laughs> I don't think you can do it. I'll do it in post, okay. All right, cool. Well, that was a fun conversation. And uh, thanks for uh, sitting down and talking about it. This was your first your first ever podcast to be on, right? Yeah. How do you think you did? I think it did 100% good. I think, <laughs> I think, I think, so it, did, I think it did great. Is it, was it, um, did you like, is it hard to, here's what helps. When you're in a podcast the first time, like it is a little nervous in the beginning. You don't know how to act. And, um, but if you can lock into the conversation with the person that you're in, you forget about the mics. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because really, it's not a conversation to other people. It's this conversation. Yeah, it's this conversation. People are just listening. Yes. Cool. Well, I think that was a valuable conversation, and I think uh, I, I appreciate you uh, b- uh, being on the podcast because I, I think I think a lot of people can learn from that, and I think that um, it'll be it'll be valuable to you, but also to other people. So yeah, I do too. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's go do something else. <laughs> let's go shoot. All right. All right, guys. Well, that was it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Again, just a little reminder. Um, join YouTube if you don't already have an account. Sign up for YouTube so you can comment in the YouTube lives. Follow the Journey Podcast on YouTube. Uh, join me every other Monday and every Wednesday on there for awesome interactive episodes where I can answer your questions and now do video analysis. Um, and uh Other than that, thanks for your time. I hope you guys have a great week. Um, Get your practice in and uh, look to the live YouTube episode this coming Wednesday on the 22nd for the homework that I'll be assigning uh, for you to do if you want to. (laughs) I wish when I was in school that homework was optional like the homework that I assign in my podcast. It would have been really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for your time. I hope you enjoyed it.